Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. Oh man, there's thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people watching these people with disabilities do these sports, do these amazing things. Like, this is crazy. And it's not in a sense of pity. Today's episode is from the Meta Performance Show, where I sit down with high performers who continually aspire to go beyond high performance. On this episode, I get to talk with Paralympian gold medalist David Brown, who is now a coach and public speaker. He set the world record in the Brazil Paralympics running the 100-meter sprint in under 11 seconds. That's very fast. What makes that unique is that he did it with a blindfold because David cannot see. David gradually went blind from the age of 16 to 13, and he took that grief and rage from the experience and channeled it into sports. He got into wrestling first and then eventually discovered track and field, which led him to becoming, in 2016, the fastest blind man in the world. In this episode, we talk about loss, how faith shapes the way we talk to ourselves, about ourselves, what makes a great coach for a great athlete, and more. Enjoy the show. Hey, David, thank you so much for being on the show. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me today. Oh, man, I am. I'm really looking forward to this. And it's been really a pleasure doing some research and getting to know you a little bit. And by the way, and this is a little dated, but congratulations on your engagement. I think that that happened back in April. Is that right? Yeah, we actually just got married a month ago, September the 18th. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) our research is dated then. Uh, Well, happy, happy marriage. Where'd you get married? Yeah, Uh, we got married here in San Diego, actually, uh, El Cajon County or in a park. Yeah, man. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, congratulations. So is it still the the, the honeymoon glow? Not really. Uh, I don't even <laughs> think we even had one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we did do a lot of traveling. We went up to Los Angeles, went to Magic Mountain. Yeah. You know, we did some thrills. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I saw, I saw a video of you two playing basketball together and it just looks like you really enjoy each other's company. Yeah. No, um, my wife, I don't know about other folk, but you know, she's my, she's been my bestie for a while. And, uh, yeah, we really enjoy each other. You know, uh, that was pretty fun to play basketball. That was just something that was thrown into that documentary right there last minute. And that was yep. pretty fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've, you've got, you've got some game. I know that when you were a kid, that was one of the things you wanted to do is play basketball. Yeah. Yeah. So I had sight, of course, up to the age of six when my vision started decreasing in my right eye. Before that, I was playing basketball and I had a dream to be a basketball player because, you know, that's my favorite sport still to this day. And if they had blind basketball, I wouldn't be in track right now. (laughs) I'm just saying. But yeah, basketball is fun, man. It was just something I was good at. It's really big in my family. And so why wouldn't you want to be a basketball player? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, I, my guess is uh, that track and field is grateful that you didn't go into basketball because now they get to, to claim you and, and have your story <laughs> as, as, as part of their lexicon of greatness. So actually, that's mm. a great segue. Talk, talk to us. So you weren't, you weren't born blind. Talk to us about that journey just to set the stage for all the other things that we're going to talk about. Uh, how, how did you go from having sight to, to then being uh, mostly blind? Yeah, so age of 15 months old, I came down with a disease called Kawasaki's. Mm-hmm. And that's funny in itself because my mom, when she heard it, she was like, my son got a motorcycle disease? <laughs> like, <laughs> what in the world? But it's a rare disease that mm-hmm. you know swells your lymph nodes and your body pretty much is attacking itself. 
They don't know how it happens or what causes it, but that's what happened to me. My white blood cells attacked my eyes, gave me glaucoma, mm-hmm. and you know that's nerve damage, high eye pressure, mm-hmm. everything that comes with it. And that is actually what caused me to start going blind. So when I was three years old, I had a surgery for my left eye. They went in to try to drain the fluid that built up in my left eye. And they mm-hmm. did a little too well doing that because when they put the shunt in there, the shunt, it worked and it drained all the fluid out of my eye and caused it to shrink into its eye socket. Wow. Wow. So my left eye had, it had, I say that past tense because I have a prosthetic shell now there, but it had just a, mm-hmm. like a hole there, but there was still a real eye there. They never abstracted it. And right now, still to this day, I still have that eye there. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's behind the prosthetic cell, so you can't see it. Don't be creeped out, people. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was six years old, my vision started decreasing in my right eye. After all the eye surgeries that was done to that, you know, they're probing at it. My eye pressure is high. It's low. You know, a lot of laser eye surgeries and different things of that mm-hmm. nature, trying to get my pressure down. It started decreasing mm-hmm. in my right eye. So my right eye was my only good eye. And it gradually did that over a span of seven years. And so pretty much age of six, you know, five, six years old, I had, you could say 2020 vision or at least close to it. I was able to see to read print. Then the next day, you know, I'm not even really able to see the small print. Now I got to go to large print. And then it just keeps on going like that. The papers just kept getting bigger and bigger. The letters kept getting bigger and bigger. And I can't really see what they look like. You know, I can't tell what they are and identify those things. So, of course, I had to start reading Braille, all those things of that sort, you know, learn how to use a cane and pretty much adapt to being a blind individual. But when I was 13, my vision stabilized and it left me with limited sight that I have here, which is just light shapes and shadows and colors. So I can see movement and stuff, but, you know, I can't really identify you know, I can, you can say somebody via their face and stuff like that, but I can see, okay, I, you're standing there. I can see your shadow. You can see a shadow. Yeah, yeah. of course, when you, when you run, you have a blindfold on. So then yeah. There's, <laughs> there's nothing. Yeah, <laughs> there's that. completely nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's, and you know, running, running 100 meter and sub 11 seconds, we're going to get to in a little bit with a blindfold on. We'll put some links in the show notes so people can actually go and watch you work. Mm-hmm. And it really is to behold. Now, there's two levels of this conversation I want to talk about in terms of that specifically, because, you know, as people are listening to this, that they're leaders or even in their personal lives, you know, they know that life isn't always up and to the right. It always is not always good things and winning and, and things working out the way that you hope they would. Oftentimes there's a lot of loss. Uh, would, would, would you mind sharing a little bit about what that process was like for you psychologically from going going to, from having something that it seemed like everybody has yeah. losing something that everybody has. What was that like for you? I mean, honestly, it's very damaging. And at a young age, this is where I guess you could say you're mostly influenced. Of course, it, you can yeah. be influenced too at a later age as well. But being so young, not really understanding what's going on with you, you know, one minute you're able to see the next minute you're not, it's very fearful. And yeah. Yeah. You know, I've tried to explain to a lot of people, you know, uh, I guess you could say how I felt during this period of time is really hard to put in words. I wouldn't say, you know, only thing you can do is experience it yourself. No, I'm not going to say that. But yeah. it's one of them things where it is truly hard to explain because I was dealing with so much 
in the sense of just what I was seeing in my head or how mm. my brain would comprehend things like, okay, I'm able to see one minute, next minute I'm not. Why can't I see that? Why couldn't I see this mm. basketball? Now I'm frustrated because now I can't play basketball anymore. I, I'm bumping into things. I'm hitting things left and right. My eyes getting all banged up and no, I, I is sensitive, very sensitive, no more sensitive actually to the, the normal eye just because mm. of my high eye pressure and then everything that's been done to it and stuff like that. So it's like, I got sensitive eyeballs. I got to wear these glasses. I got to keep going in for surgeries. I, you know, yeah. have to go to the doctor over and over again, get my prescription changed for my glasses. Then I'm getting bullied at school, you know, kids trying to, talk about me, talk about my friends behind their back. So now I'm getting in fights at school, you know, don't have any friends for a while. So there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, this was up to the age of 10. Now, when I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, I attended the Missouri school for the blind. This Mm -hmm. is in 2004, I'm 11 Mm -hmm. years old at this period of time. You know, I'm moving to a new school, a school for the blind, where I'm thinking, okay, now I got kids like me that can relate to how I see, how I feel, maybe. Mm. No, no, I'm getting bullied at this school and getting talked about at this school about my blindness and all this other stuff. It's like, what in the world is this situation? Yeah. You know, here I am at a school where I'm thinking I'm about to, I want to say be accepted, but at least get some relatability going on, but was that kids being kids? Like, because that is yeah. surprising. What was going on? What was going on in in St. Louis? Yeah. Now, see, like you just said right there, that was just kids being kids. Because some of these kids, that's all they knew. Mm. You know, me, I had the opportunity to have sight, and then one day, you know, my sight started decreasing. Some blind individuals, they were just born blind, and that's all they know. It's yeah. just no, it's just blindness. And they don't know any other way other than just being themselves, you know, and this is just kids just being kids. Like you said, and, you know, kids, they laugh, they joke, they make fun, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. here I was expecting something else, but here I am kind of getting, you know, just the same kind of situation in the sense of just, oh, this and that and the third. But at the end of the day, I ended up learning. They're like, look, how the heck are we going to talk about you when I'm more blind than you are? Hmm. Some of them would say, <laughs> like, hmm. when I say these things, I don't say it to make fun of you. I'm saying it in just a joking manner in that sense. You know, I had to pretty much change my perspective. Hmm. And that wasn't until after, you know, I was 13 years old. And honestly, uh, that put me to a deep depression in the sense of I was a uh, on the verge of suicide. Mm. And that was due to a whole bunch of other situations on top of that. Um, there was a lot of things going on with my family at that Mm. time too, that I was putting on myself at the age of 13. But Mm. after, you know, by the grace of God, I got through that, you know, I ended up learning and seeing, like I said, the sense of just, okay, Hey, these are just kids being kids. And I can honestly, I guess you could say, change my perspective in the sense of how all this stuff is looking. It's not as bad as it seemed. It was just my outlook yeah, and my perspective on how this stuff was. Man, and that is powerful. Do you remember any of the mechanics of how that transformation of perspective happened for you? Because I mean, that's, that's really profound. Yeah. One thing that I ended up doing at the age of 13 was 
during this period of, like I mentioned, I was very low to the point of suicide. I knew something was wrong with me. Mm. But on top of this, I had an opportunity to do sport. Mm. So when I was going through elementary school, I was at a public school. Mm-hmm. Of course, I wasn't able to do the sports and stuff that they had offered there. Everything had to be adapted. At the blind school, we had opportunities to do sports that I didn't even think was possible. You know, track being one of them. I got to do wrestling. Yeah. My favorite sport ever. Wait, hold on a second. <laughs> what, 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 what weight class were you? Starting out, 95. 95. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I, I wrestled in high school. I was, I was 100, hey. 112 pounds. Well, I was five foot nine, 112 pounds. So I was, Whoa, I was gangly. Oh my gosh. My, wow. Oh dude, you would have kicked at, at 95 pounds, David, you would have kicked my ass. I had no game. Oh my goodness. But anyhow, so I regress and it's certainly not about me. So, so, uh, yeah. you, found, you found wrestling, you found track and field. Keep going. Yeah. I found a sport called goalball, which is also, uh, I guess you could say very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Blind loving, you know, yeah. a lot of people love that. A lot of blind and visually impaired people love it because everyone is blind on the floor mm. when you're playing, it. Mm. you know, so nobody has an advantage. Yeah. But wrestling was my go to mm. because, you know, you being a wrestler yourself, you know, you can throw people around in a control setting. And so I really tapped into that and I would motivate myself with these sports. And when I say motivate myself, like I would literally, you may think I was crazy because I will run and mutter to myself sometimes, or sometimes I'll just speak to myself in my head in the sense of just like, Hey, look, you're at the lowest point in your life. Are you going to let this get to you? Sometimes life is going to push you backwards, but are you going to fight back? Or are you just going to give up? You can't let this person or this thing you know, overtake you. I don't care what weight class you were in. I was weight class 95. I had a lot of guys that I was wrestling. Now, keep in mind, the Missouri School for the Blind is a small school. It may be a big building, but not a lot of kids go there. Not a lot of athletes as well. You know, we have kids with uh, multiple disabilities and stuff like that, multiple different functions and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that negatively because I was friends with everyone in the school. You know, those are my people. Yeah. But... You know, this causes them not to, some of them not to play these contact sports yep. like I was doing, right. you know, capable of doing. Right. So we didn't have that many people on the wrestling team. So here I am, I'm 95 pounds. Who am I going to train with? <laughs> Somebody who's 145 pounds. <laughs> Somebody who's 220 pounds. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wrestling all these different guys at different weight classes who's just trying to muscle me around. So, of course, I use those same concepts in the sense of, okay, overcoming my boundaries in life, you know, doesn't matter. The situation doesn't matter. The resistance there is, I'm going to fight back and I'm going to give it my all. So you're, you're in a single, you're on the mat and you are like self-talking. You were talking to yourself. You're, 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 you said muttering or mumbling to yourself, like, like pep talking yourself in order to learn how to think and see the world differently. Yes. And who taught you how to do that? Did, did that just erupt from inside of you? Is someone guiding you through that? Honestly, that was a number of different factors. One mm-hmm. being my faith in Jesus Christ. So I was raised in the church, but that's not the reason why I have faith in Christ to this day. That's a whole mm-hmm. different story. We're not mm-hmm. going to you know, make this into a whole religious thing, but <laughs> <laughs> that's mm-hmm. my foundation. Mm-hmm. Let me just say first and foremost. So... 
because of course, still to this day, my slogan is for his glory, running for his glory, you know, and everything I do, I do it for the glory of God. So with that as my foundation, of course, I almost used it as a prayer in a sense, you know, motivating myself and praying to God, like, Lord, help me get through this. This was one thing that helped me get through that depression. I'm like, I need to figure out a way to get through this. Lord, help me see and figure this out. And then, of course, here was the next shifting of, okay, opening my eyes to see I can use this as an outlet, as a, you know, as an outlet to be able to push through this, you know, this barrier. Boom. Now I'm utilizing this outlet as an outlet. What was coming out of me, honestly, and what I was saying, I, I honestly don't even know where in the sense of just like, no, I guess you could say it was coming from in the sense of just like just pure determination. Yeah. You know, it was just some, one of those things you grow up hearing these kind of concepts all the time. But then when I was able to actually, I guess you could say live it now, here I am in a situation where it's like, okay, now I got to actually push through this situation. I got to overcome this here. I am. I got to power through this, you know, that's a whole different story. So like you said, muttering to myself, then here, comes another level of just determination flooding out of me like you know what i actually see for a fact how this is correlating in the sense of just like life as well as this person here not saying this is the enemy but right now this is my opponent he's trying to pin me down you know Mike, (laughs) this is trying to pin me down am i going to let this happen no (laughs) you know what i'm saying overpower whatever you know what I'm saying? And then, of course, like yeah. I said, in wrestling, you got your limits. I can't just start throwing blows. So, of course, <laughs> I go to my go-to moves. I you know, expand my arsenal of moves. I throw myself into this sport. I try to learn as much as I can. I try to get as strong as I can in order for me to be able to, you know, I guess you'd say draw from more avenues in the sense of just like, okay, here I am now. I can go to this move. If they get me in here. If they get me like that, I can go to that. I can do that. If they do me like this, boom, boom, boom. Same thing like life. Okay. Now I'm starting to dive into these different avenues, you know? Mm. Okay. I can look to this person. If I need some pump me up, I can look to this person. If I need some motivation, Mm. I can look to this person for some good quotes right here. You know, I could talk to this person over here if I need, you know what I'm saying? So here's the different avenues, you know? So of course, that's just something I had to start looking into and I started going to, and I started, you know, being able to see and realize like, Hey, you know, this, this, this is possible. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you used, and you, you may have mentioned this elsewhere uh, where I was reading, but it sounds like you used wrestling as a place to practice attacking life th- through the metaphor of the sport. Yeah, that is exactly it. And that's incredible. And you were how old when you were learning to, to think this way and to feel this way and to, and to have the perception of the world this way? Uh, 13 and 14 years old, yeah, the majority of that period. Yeah. How did that affect your emotions and the way that you felt about the hand that life had dealt you? It made me realize I, I can get through it, you know. And then on top of that, um, it helped me to realize, too, you know, that I guess you could say it is it is okay to be angry at the situation that it it's you know been dealt you know but how you go about releasing that anger that's where people get in trouble you know mm-hmm. it helped me realize too that I could actually get through it yeah you know it gave me a a safe place in a sense and of course wrestling like I said it it was my biggest 
contributor to helping that change. I even brought it over the, you know, track, you know, where you may get, you know, tired and get weary. You got to push through that pain. You know what I'm saying? You got to hurry up, speed up. You know, you're going to let this person be, you know what I'm saying? Get there before the door closes, run through that door before the opportunity shut. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Different things of that nature, you know? So of course I'm, I guess you could say, figuring out different concepts for the different sports that I'm in and using them as motivation, even still to this day to help push me through the different situations. And it will help me realize, you know, Hey, this is something that can be overcame. This is something that, you know, I can get through by the grace of God. Let me just keep on pushing and, you know, making my strides as long as I'm continuing to go forward. And it's okay to, you know, fall down. As long as you get up, it's okay for me to get angry because we are emotional people. But as long as I'm still thinking rational, as long as I'm, you know, getting up and, you know, going forward and making them strides, long story short, you know, and doing it in a respectful, the, you know, like I say, within those parameters, because like I said, if you're wrestling, you're not just going to get up and start throwing blows. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's as long restraint. As I'm doing it within the, yeah, the rightful means like, yeah, I can, you know, just keep going and keep pushing and, you know, start wailing. However, I, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever is necessary, you know? So. so then I do want to pivot into, then of course you found running yeah. before I do that. And this may be a little bit of a tangent. There's a phrase you just said where you said, run through the door before it closes. Is, is that like, is that track? speak is is that something that you tell yourself when you're sprinting like is do you do you see in your mind a closing door to i've never heard that metaphor used in terms of running honestly that's the first time i ever used it (laughs) 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 but you know i kind of just saw the correlation right there in the sense of just like like i said running through and stepping through a door before it closes sometimes you know certain doors may be shut that's open to you but you got to run through it before it closes and, you know, you may just be right there before it closes, you know, so sometimes you're going to have to sprint. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't call it track speak. No, I don't really literally see a door shutting at the end of a track. You know, I see myself either winning or losing, you know, mm-hmm. which one do I want to do? Do I want to win or do I want to lose? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Okay. So, so not track speak. <laughs> Talk to us about how you went from, wrestling to running yeah so 15 years old i got an opportunity i got presented an opportunity you could say mm-hmm. of going to beijing china and witnessing the games live yeah, you, you know, had to write an essay games. right yeah i had to write an essay yeah. 500 words how has sport impacted my life up until mm-hmm. that point and sport honestly transformed me you know being yeah. able to utilize these sports it took me from a kid who used to play sports to not being able to play sports someone of fear you know and despair and depression to here i am i feel i can conquer the world and do whatever you know and anything and everything you know yeah. as long as i put my mind to, you know, to it because that's one thing though too the physical part is one thing but it's the mental aspect that got me to where I was being able to help see and change that perspective. Cause of course, physically all that did was help me. Now I'm pushing through physical to another realm, but mentally I had to get there first, Yeah, you know? So boom, boom, you know, one helps drive the other. It sounds like your mind through wrestling, you've got your mind ready for what your body was about to do through track. Exactly. That's kind of what I put in that essay. I've always been a good writer. Not yeah. trying to 
brag, but you know, that's something that's in my family. You know, my mom, she's a great writer. My sister, she's a real good writer. I guess that, you know, was part of my genetics and it was selected out of hundreds of applicants. You know, they were only taking 25 applicants to go to Beijing, China. I was selected as one of the 25 and this is the crazy thing. So I submitted the essay on January the 6th of 2008 Mm-hmm. No, we had that time stamped in the sense of, okay, here's the date of the essay. I got the call back on April the 27th of 2008 saying that I was selected to go to Beijing, China. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. no, four months later. Yeah. So that was cool. That was a crazy year. But, um, <laughs> and I say this was a crazy year because that was also a year that I got pneumonia during wrestling season and I wrestled Whoa. with pneumonia not knowing it. And I ended up winning, I ended up winning conference too. So what? <laughs> that's that's like that's Michael Jordan status. That's you know what I'm saying? Like that's because he, he what's that famous game he played where he, he had like the flu or something and he yeah. played through it. Yeah, and he played through it. Yeah, yeah. it was crazy. Right. But um I'm I'm not trying to say that in the sense of like, yeah, I'm savage, but you know, like that's just <laughs> something where I remember this year in the sense of just so much ca- like chaos was going on in in a good way. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. Here, I got chosen to go to Beijing, China. Months later in September, you know, I'm off to Beijing. I see this different level of sport presented to me in the sense of just, oh, man, there's thousands and thousands of people, hundreds Mm. of thousands of people watching these people with disabilities do these sports, do these amazing things. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And it's not in the sense of pity. These mm-hmm. people are 100% like athletes, mm. you know, and people are looking at them as athletes, not just somebody that is, oh, yeah, good for them. Look at what they're doing. No, these are competitors. They're competing yes. for medals. There are gold, silver, and bronze. There's no ribbons, you know, given. <laughs> and I'm not making jabs at anybody, you know. Just to put that out there, I'm not making jabs, but yeah. it's like, this is what it is. This is competition. Like, these are sincere athletes, you know? Yes. And I'm like, you know what? I can do this. Hmm. And I want to do this. Like, I'm seeing these track athletes running with guide runners. And I'm like, hmm. okay, I don't know how that's done, but that's something I want to do. I want to actually compete against these guys. And you know what? I feel I can beat these guys. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you started running without a guide runner. Yeah. So so tell, tell our audience how that works. Yeah, so I was running, okay, so how you run in the Paralympics is completely different from how you run in the blind school. How you run in the Paralympics is you run with the tether and you're tethered to your guide and it's by the hands, yeah. It's pretty much a piece of string. Back then it was, you no know, a shoestring or a piece of yarn, however you so choose. Now that you have a default tether for everyone to use, And it's 30 centimeters long. It's equal to a foot. There's loops on the end of it. And there's this ribbon that's in between the two loops that equals the 10 centimeters. I didn't even know that, you know, until the games. Uh, That's a different story. We can get into that later. But, um, (laughs) yeah, it was it's 10 centimeters. So you put your hand in it, your fingers in it, however you so choose to do. And then you run and synchronizing your steps with your guide runner, you know, your guide has to synchronize to the athlete and it's just like a three-legged race. So the only difference is it's you're tethered by your hands. 
how yeah. we ran at the blind school is completely opposite. And when I say that, like, there's no comparison. We ran on these things called the wires. So it's literally just think of it like a, a clothes wire, something that you will hang your clothes on. Mm. So we would put our hand on one of these wires and this ran up and down the length of a hundred meters or so, however far. And this is apart from the 400 meter track itself. So this is just one straightaway and all there that's right there on eight lanes hmm. is these wires and you will hold on to the wire and run down just pumping one arm. And so it was your left hand down and your right hand is your, is what you're using. So I'm yeah. moving just one arm, pumping mm. one arm the whole way. So, of course, when you go to try to run with a guide runner, you're using both arms. If you're used to only running with one arm, that's completely different. Well, and, and so I imagine there's two differences that, I mean, many, but the obvious ones for me are, so it's different mechanically, but also yes. mm-hmm. unleashing that second arm. I mean, you kind of need that second arm in order to increase your speed. Is that accurate? Yeah. So when you're running only with one arm, you can only go so fast, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is one reason why I have such respect for the arm amputees that are in the Paralympics as well. Some of these guys are running super freaking quick, even without arms. I think the world record holder is from Brazil. He has no arms and he can run at least 10.5. Without the gravitational, what is it like a centrifugal force? That yeah, you, the pump you get that helps you get pump, you no know, pumping forward. You know, yeah. And I know some, of course, athletes here in America, same situation. You know, they're only running with the one arm; they're not capable of using their other arm. I was pretty much running a lot, like I guess you could say, just like these guys, in the sense of just one arm pumping. And yeah. of course, like you said, there is benefits in using both arms. And I wasn't using both arms. I was only able to use one. And then when I'm running with a guide runner, now I have to use both arms. That's pretty hard to do, especially when you're trying to synchronize with the guide, you know, and your guide's trying to synchronize with you. If you're not using your arms, it's hard to kind of synchronize up. (laughs) Well, and and that, probably is the understatement of this entire conversation to yeah. run <laughs> to run at full speed faster than nine, 99.9% of the world's population tethered <laughs> to another person. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, and even for our audience, you know, he did, he gave a very technical explanation of what the tether is. It's essentially like rubber handcuffs. It's a, there's an elasticity to it a little bit, but you're essentially handcuffed to another person. Yeah. You can look at it just like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never even thought and of that. <laughs> well, and to watch, and, and honestly, again, we'll put show no, uh, links in the show notes, but like to watch you and your guide run with each other, it's, you know, it's like watching two people become one. It, it, it's impossible to explain. You really, ha- it almost looks like an optical illusion because <laughs> it's incredible. So, okay, great. So, it. Uh, well, it's it's art, is what it is. Well, I mean, I I like art, so that's a compliment. But the, uh, <laughs> and actually, and I know you are too. Actually, you're a musician, right? Yeah, you know, I play the piano and the drums. I used to play the saxophone as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so we can maybe another time talk about that. Mm-hmm. Already, by the way, just as a full disclosure, David, like we could have spent the entire conversation talking about the first fifteen years. I think there's a ton of lessons that you have learned the hard way and carved out of the granite of your life that are a gift to to people, no matter what life stage they're in. But we're gonna we're gonna move things along because I'm sure people who are listening to this are gonna want to hear about you know Rio and and 2016 and all that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So. 
Real quick, an- another thing that who are our listeners, most of them uh, have been exposed to our work and, and enjoy coaching and those types of things. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to talk about some of the coaches in your life specifically, because is it around this time that you met Coach Cruz? Yeah. So around the time of, okay, so this is also a part of the story. And I guess you could say, go back to, here's an opportunity where the door was open and I had to either sprint through it or just let it close. So back in 2010, I met coach Cruz. He wasn't my coach yet. I'm still in high school. Mm -hmm. My coach Mm -hmm. at that time, Tim Cobb, he came to me and I called us the core four because we were four athletes who did all the sports at the school. (laughs) So he came to know the core four and he's like, Hey, there's this opportunity for you guys to run on this relay team alongside the U S Paralympics. But it's at the same time as your swim and forensics conference. So I did forensics in high school. I was uh, doing great speeches and impromptu and stuff like that. You know, for those who doesn't know, you know, it's, they call, they call it debate, but it's not really debate. No, I did forensics you know? as well. It sounds like I second yeah. dead bodies or something. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No, it's competitive speech and drama. Yeah, I was um, in a great speeches at that time. I had a good chance of winning with the speech that I was doing. So I was like, you know what? It's either go for this opportunity to run alongside these guys that I've heard about, you know, and just saw a couple of years ago, or pretty much go and try to get this dub at, you know, forensics, something that is going to end pretty soon, you know? So the long-term goal, I was like, you know what? I want to take this opportunity because I told myself I wanted to be a Paralympian. I wanted to be a Paralympic athlete. So here I went to pin relays and boom, I meet coach Cruz for the first time. And that race right there at pin relays opened up a door for me to then go to you know, there's a difference between junior nationals and adult nationals within the track and field realm. I qualified to go to adult nationals. So I went to adult nationals and that pretty much put me on a radar to possibly go to world championships in 2011. I ended up missing the team, but um, now here I am. I'm in the system though of developing athletes in the United States. So they started bringing me to different camps flying me in, you know, to the training center out here where I live and I train now. I don't live at the training center anymore, but I live out here in Trula Vista and the training center is here in Trula Vista, California. Yeah. So they started flying me out here. And in 2012, I was invited to come and live and train here full time. And that's when I got to come on board with coach Cruz full time. Cause of course, as you know, history has shown, you know, I ended up taking the opportunity to <laughs> come and live and train here full time. And that's yeah. when I got on board with Coach Cruz. And in your mind, David, what makes a good coach? Honestly, someone who can adapt to their athlete because every athlete is different. You know, just like everybody is different, every person is different. One of my things I say, I'm also a massage therapist and a holistic health practitioner. My business name for my massage therapy is actually Everybody Matters. And because, mm. like I said, everybody is different. So, how you adapt yeah. to that yeah. body is different. You know, I'm blind and I need different hands on work, no pun intended, than somebody who has <laughs> sight or somebody who has an arm disability, you know? So of course, different level of capability is required 
or shall I say adaptation, shall I say is required. So somebody who's able to adapt, that's what I feel makes a great coach. And then not only that, someone who is, who listens, Hmm. you know, because I would say a lot of coaches, they hear their athletes, but they don't listen to their athletes. Hmm. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. You know, hearing is just, okay, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm still going to do it my way. You know, anyway, you know, as opposed to listening to the situation and saying, okay, well, what's the problem? And then, of course, actually working with that athlete in the sense of, okay, well, what's going on? And that what goes, like I said, listening and adapting goes hand in hand because, of course, you got to listen to what they're saying and then, of course, adapt to, okay, well, what's really, like, what's happening? What can we do? What can, like, okay, this is what you're telling me. This is what I'm hearing. Is this what you mean? You know, okay, can we go about this? What, what do you think about that? You know, and then, of course, helping you get to that goal at the same time instead of just mm-hmm. saying, okay, yeah, I hear you, and then just blowing it off. Do you have any examples of that with Coach Cruz during your lead up to the 2016 games? I wouldn't just say all my life, but even all my career has been having to adapt to a situation because of course, being somebody with a visually impairment, I'm just going to throw this out here. You know, I run with a guide because I have to, not because I want to, Hmm. you know, I'm blind. If I don't run with a guide, I can't do what I do, you know? So of course I have to adapt to that situation And not only do I have to adapt to that situation, my coach has to adapt to that situation as well. So leading to the games, of course, we have a guide. We actually have two guides at this point because I was going in, I was queued up to run three races, 100 meters, Hmm. 200 meters, and 400 meters. So I have a guide for the 400. I have a guide for the 100. And then, of course, split decision on who runs with me in the two. Mm -hmm. So... I'm training with both of these guides and I have to adapt my, no, even though, like I said, the guide's supposed to adapt to the runner, you know, to the athlete on how they run me. I was adapting to my runners because for years up until last year, that's a whole different story in itself. But up until last year, I didn't know how to sprint correctly. I didn't know, like I had concepts, but I didn't grasp the technique or the mechanics of sprinting. So Hmm. I wouldn't even call myself a sprinter. I was just a freaking, a freak of nature. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause you're, cause even your, your running style is like all power. Like it's all, it's all force versus the technique. I think that some people use to maybe not have it, who don't have as much power to run more like a gazelle, perhaps yeah. or something you have a little bit more. Yeah. And see me, I hate the hundred just because of how technical you have <laughs> to be, you know, and huh. me, I love to run too. On top of that, my favorite race is the 200 meters. Sadly, they took that out of the Paralympics because they wanted to accommodate other athletes and, um, put more, uh, events in you know for other athletes to be able to participate and to be able to compete in which is perfectly fine you know in order for us to be 
done competing in the time frame we have, we have to take some stuff out. Some stuff has to be sacrificed. I wish it wasn't the 200, but <laughs> hey, like bygones be bygones. And so the 100 meters, of course, like I said, I don't really like it because it's too short. I love to run. I love the 200, the 400. And the 100 is just something I just so happen to be good at, I guess, because of my explosive <laughs> abilities. And Hold on a second. Hold on. Good at, I guess. <laughs> that's a funny thing to say for a person who for our time was the fastest blind man in the world in the hundred. I mean, that was a goal of mine to uh, be the first one to break the hundred meter world record, become the first totally blind athlete under 11 seconds. But honestly, my goal was just to be the catalyst for other blind athletes to go under 11 seconds because it was never done within the, time frame that you know i saw it, it should have been done it was so close but nobody ever broke it it can be a mental thing so of course going back to that mind over body kind of a situation i was like okay i gotta first put my mind under or above where i wanted to be push my body to that point and then of course here i am now i have it to adapt to that situation i gotta find a guide that can help guide me under this you no know, time frame that i want and yeah. that all aligned. And then here we go. Boom. You know, 100, boom, 200 meter world record. And it's like, okay, there it goes. I've done what I wanted to do. And now yes. here, some years later, it really warms my heart, honestly, to see other blind people under 11 seconds too. Like this year, we had three blind people go under 11 seconds for the finals. It yeah. was ridiculous. And I'm like, yes, finally, yeah. this is what was, this is what it's all about. You know? Well, and that's, <laughs> and even just to give you some people something to anchor that into Roger Bannister, of course, is very famous for in 1954 being the first human being ever to run a sub four minute mile. Mm -hmm. And and since then, four, over 1400 athletes have done that. Never been done before. And everyone said it couldn't be done. Mm -hmm. He does it once. And then 1400 other people do it. David Brown is the example of that. Never been done before. A blind person never run a sub 11. He does it. And then do you know how many people have done it since? Uh, off the top of my head, I want to say at least five other athletes, five or six yeah. other athletes have done it. Yeah, that's nuts. And that's, that is incredible. I want to honor you for that. There I is a, it, it is mental or, or at least a lot of it is mental. The power of seeing somebody else do it and then being like, well, I can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, <laughs> that, that is, that, in a lot of ways, it sounds like you're saying that's your legacy. Like that is what you, that's what you showed up to do and now you've done it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, I'm going to continue to run the 100, but uh, I think we're picking back up the 400 this year as well as the 200 yeah. coming into this yeah. season. And, you know, pretty, for me, I'm actually picking up soccer too. They're starting a blind soccer team here in the United States. Yeah. And um, is that tethered as well? No. So how do you have to explain how that works? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's a, a different beast for everybody. So blind soccer is played just like regular soccer. Mm -hmm. But the difference is, is, okay, so there's these sideboards there. So the ball won't go out of bounds. The ball itself, it actually has uh, these... Uh, jingles in it so there are like bells or something in it for yeah. us to be able to see it and yeah. it's five aside soccer opposed to you know the usual 11 so there's one person that is sighted on the field which is the goalie 
mm-hmm. and the rest of us is blind. So all of us you know will be blindfolded and we're pretty much just playing soccer. And there are guides in it, but not in the ways of we're being tethered. So there's coaches mm-hmm. on the sidelines and there's a person behind the opposing goal that is yelling in the sense of just like, Hey, there's a defender to your left. There's a defender to your right or whatever else, you know, as you're going towards the opponent's goal and pretty much that they're called the, I believe it's called the attacker. So the attacker coach, you know, they're letting, you know, they're in charge of the offense. And then you got the defensive coach, which is in charge of the defense. And that, I think that's the coach that is on the sideline. So they're telling you, Hey, left, 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 right, right, left. You know, and of course there's a lot of sound going on. It's, you're supposed to be quiet in the game, just like goal ball, because you're mm-hmm. supposed to hear where the ball is. Okay, and, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're just going around there, just pounding each other and kicking the ball. I mean, just like <laughs> soccer, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. that's incredible. And where my mind goes is, of course, the, the thing that can't be done when people say that can't be done, whether it's sport or whether it's about disabilities or whether it's about anything, like whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, whether a company's trying to grow at a certain rate or trying to accomplish a certain thing or whether artists and entertainers are trying to make a certain kind of art, mm-hmm. there's always people who say that can't be done. And then there's always people who say, well, watch me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. So how was that invented? How long has this been in the works? Are there a group of, is there like a, I imagine people get together in a room and they have a beer and they talk about, okay, how do we invent the, <laughs> reinvent the game of soccer? <laughs> um, honestly, uh, I'm not too big on the history of five yeah. of a side football. That's what it's called in the Paralympics, you know, and I okay. think it's the same kind of thing around the world. I know mm-hmm. it's been around in the Paralympic Games, I believe, since 2004. Okay. Um, Brazil, it, you know, is a soccer country yep. Yep. on every avenue. So they have been um, within the Paralympic realm, kind of like the big dogs for a long time. Here in the United States, we've never had a soccer team. This is big around other countries, mm-hmm. you know, around the world, except for here in the U.S., But now, finally, as of a few years ago, I believe the United States Association of Blind Athletes partnered up with U.S. Paralympics to start a team Hmm. to be able to compete in Los Angeles 2028. So there's representation of the United States in every sport except for this one. So they're like, we got to, yeah, we got to cover this. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. We're starting a team. It's in the um, beginning stages. And yeah. um, a good friend of mine is actually a part of that organization in the sense of just, you know, like he's one of the people who's helping put the, the team together. So uh, when I met with them, actually, they were out here in Trula Vista at the training center. I just got some information from him, chatted with him. And, you know, soccer is a, it's a huge sport. A big avenue is, you know, there for soccer. Yeah. whether it be blind or sighted, you know, and yeah. also there's longevity there. Cause of course I'm not planning on sprinting you know, <laughs> my whole life, you know, so you know, sprinting, no, it, it takes a lot on your body. It's very it's taxing. taxing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. of course thinking of longevity, you know, in just sports in general, I was like, you know what, this could be something that I can be good at actually. And I played mm. it before in high school, you know, mm. we had different, adapted sports and blind soccer was one of them. So I was like, you know, this is something that I can try out. Um, I got a camp that's coming up here actually 
in a few weeks, November the 13th, about time everybody hears this, it would have been passed. So feel free to reach out and that's how it goes. But, um, (laughs) you know, November the 13th, I got a camp coming up and it'll be in Ohio just to go and see if this is going to be a fit, you know, get to learn the sports more, possibly meet some future teammates. And, you know, they're putting the team together to start traveling and stuff next year. And hopefully if things go well, we'll see about if we can compete in Paris or not. As far as me goes doing track, like I said, I'm planning on doing soccer down the way, possibly after 2024. But depending on how things are going within the track realm, I may just switch over soon. But I'm planning on at least competing in track and field up until Paris. That's always been a goal of mine. So that's incredible. So uh, two last questions. One is, um, by the way, thank you so much for this conversation. I'll bother you again to see if we can continue the conversation because there's so much. I think there's so much here. Uh, one, one question is, where can people go? And a lot of our listeners may already know this, but where can people go to watch uh, Paralympic sports? Like, Because it is an incredible yeah. thing to watch. Everything's on YouTube. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can just go to YouTube, honestly. Like, you can look up five-a-side football. Like, <laughs> me, of course, if I'm going into soccer, I'm doing my research. So you can mm-hmm. look up five-a-side football 2021 and – bring up all these games from this year in the sense of just Tokyo, but just type in five-a-side football Paralympics. You can get so many different um, things on that. You can type in just Paralympic track and field, get so many different videos on that. You know, uh, you can type in my name, David Brown Paralympics or U.S. Paralympics and get a lot of videos on me too that are there on YouTube. Surprisingly, it's crazy. You, I can I can Google myself. Like, <laughs> yeah, again, you're, you're 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 fun, David. It's not surprising. You're a gold medal. You're Olympian. There's, no, there's nothing surprising about that. And uh, in that vein, so my last question is: mm-hmm. We mentioned at the very beginning that by the time people are listening to this, your new company has launched, and you and your wife are doing public speaking and motivational yeah. speaking, inspirational speaking. And of course, we'll we'll put, we'll put uh, links in the show notes in terms of how people can access that because we have a lot yeah. of people who listen to this who have conferences and things like that. Here's what I love. Mm-hmm from you, David, is, okay, so, you know, you're, you're speaking to an audience, a large amount of people are going to listen to this conversation. Yeah. What would you want to say to them mm-hmm. as a close to take them into their future the way that you're continuing to live into yours? So, well, uh, going off of that company thing, if you would like to book, you know, me or my wife, my wife, she does archery. She's an emerging archer um, nice. for just the Olympic team, you know, uh, She's not a Paralympian. You know, she's actually sighted. <laughs> but a lot of people ask me that. They're like, oh, she does Paralympics as well. I'm like, no, my, oh. my wife is actually sighted. You know, nothing against, you know, somebody who does Paralympic archery, yeah. you know, but <laughs> <laughs> just got to show some respect, you yeah. know. <laughs> like, yeah, she does Olympic archery. But if you w- would like to uh, book us for an event or whatever, the email is contact at IamDavidRBrown.com. Hmm. Uh, that again is contact at I am so I am and then David R Brown.com. Mm-hmm. What I would say to anybody else who is listening, you know, to go forward is uh, don't be afraid of the unknown mm-hmm. because going forward with a lot of things, sometimes you don't really see the, the end goal. You do see it in one aspect of what it can be and what you want it to be. But sometimes you get thrown a curveball. And even though you get thrown as a curveball, 
that doesn't mean that the outcome still can't be what you want it to be. You know, sometimes you want to have to adapt and don't be afraid of what the adaptation is. Like I'm afraid of what may be if I were to do this, or I'm afraid of what may happen if I do that, or if I go this way or that way. And, you know, just adapt to every situation that comes. Hmm. And on top of that, you know, listen, Hmm. remain humble and, you know, just keep your goals there in front of you, whatever it may be, and stay faithful to it. But don't do it in a way where it's just going to – it's funny because, you know, um, I've been talking to a lot of people about the same kind of concept. <laughs> That's why I kind of say uh, it's funny. But um, it's like don't do it in a way where it's like it's my way or the highway, mm. you know, like talk about it. People have questions for a reason. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to them, mm. you know, and give reasons for, okay, why X is Y and why we may have to go this way and this way and that way. Like I said, talk about it, adapt if you have to, you know, and negotiate if you have to, you know, doesn't mean there can be a different way. Sometimes just sometimes you got to jump through some loops. Mm. Yeah. That's great, David. That's great. And by the way, I, I don't know if you're a Chariots of Fire fan at all, but... Um, oh, heck yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that quote, you know, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, when I talk to you, it's like God made you strong and I appreciate you sharing your strength with not only us, but the world and uh, the best is yet to come. So thank you so much for doing what you do and thanks for being on our show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance. 